And good morning and welcome. And uh, if you have a Bible, get it out to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the lobby that you're certainly welcome to use. If you don't own a Bible, uh, that's our gift to you. We would encourage you to take that, read that, and use it. Now, <clears throat> this morning will be a little bit different, a little bit unique uh, from our typical Sunday morning in that this is what we would refer to uh, as the state of the church. I promise you won't have to give any standing ovations or stand there with your arms crossed and be grumpy about anything. Uh, but, but what we're after this morning is, is really looking back at the past year, but also looking ahead to all that God has for us moving forward. And so really, we, we do this once a year for a few reasons. One, it's helpful to just keep in front of us where God is leading us. It's helpful to keep in front of us just the vision of the church, but it's also helpful uh, to have a sense of what to expect and, and, and what the following year will entail and some of the things that are coming down uh, the pipeline that you may or may not be aware of. And so what we'll do is we're going to go to the Scriptures. We'll go to John 6, and we'll spend really uh, roughly the first half of our time there and then spend the second half of our time weaving the aspects of what God's Word has spoken into our life uh, into a, in a more specific, practical, tangible way uh, of what this means for us as a church uh, moving forward this year. So let me start with this. Let me start with the main idea right out of the gate. And here it is. Here's what God's Word is going to take us to. It's that faithful, a faithful following of Jesus demands all that we are, and it trusts completely in Him. A faithful following of Jesus, it demands all that we are, and it trusts completely in Him. And so everything, everything, everything that you and I do is rooted in some way, shape, or form around these realities that, that, that the whole of my life is devoted to Jesus. The whole of my being belongs to Christ, and He has the freedom to do whatever He wants with you and I. So if God chooses to bless you and give you billions of dollars, that's His prerogative. Or if God chooses to strike you with disease and abject poverty, that's His prerogative to do. And so in John chapter 6, we're going to focus on the last um, section of John 6. But let me just start by giving us briefly a little context, uh, because the whole of John 6 is part of the same narrative or part of the same story. And so if we don't know some of what's preceded this, uh, maybe we're missing part of what's happening here. And so in John 6, uh, there's a pretty famous miracle that happens earlier in John 6. It's where Jesus feeds the 5,000. And, and that begins this back and forth exchange between Jesus and the people. And it really reveals some things about the people's heart. And it really uh, also reveals some of the things that Jesus Jesus expects of the people. And so you begin to have this dialogue, this back and forth, where the people will happily follow Jesus, but they're doing so because they're getting a handout. They're getting a free meal. And so they'll happily follow for that. And so Jesus sees that and he begins to speak into that. But as we look at John 6 and we look at the people of John 6, what it begins to expose really is a caution or as a warning to all of us is the danger of making our spiritual lives about whatever Jesus can give to us or whatever benefits or blessings I can derive from Him. That's really the caution of what we see in these people. Because what we see in this group of followers, and I'll use that term maybe loosely in this sense, is that their spirituality devolves into this me-centered, what-have-you-done-for-me-lately spirituality. And God help us that we would want nothing to do with that. And so in response to that, Jesus says some pretty crazy things. In fact, if you look at verses 53 through 59, I won't read it for you. Let me, I'll just read verse 53 uh, just to give you an idea. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. That's weird. Okay, can we just agree? That's kind of weird. And that now in the bigger context of his argument around Jesus being the bread of life, we can understand some things here. But you just read that and you're like, uh, that's kind of creepy. And so here, here's what we confidently know is that Jesus is not calling us to cannibalism. All right? He's not like, hey, would you just gnaw on my elbow this week and that'll sustain you? He's not calling us to that. That's weird, okay? Um, and if you ever hear someone preaching like, oh yeah, Jesus tells us to eat flesh. Like, well, okay, not human flesh. Um, here's what he's after. 
It's embracing and accepting and devoting ourselves to the necessity of Jesus' sacrificial death in your place and in my place. That in Him and in Him alone is the place where we will find eternal life. In Him and in Him alone is the only source of hope that we have. And so let me read to us uh, verses 60 through 71 of John 6, and then we'll walk through this. And then about halfway through our time, we'll pivot and talk very specifically about us as a church. Uh, verse 16 following says this, When many of His disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in Himself that His disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where He was before? It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray Him. And He said, This is why I told you that no one can come to Me unless it is granted Him by the Father. After this, many of His disciples, and this is not the twelve, this is a broader group of people, after this, many of His disciples turned back and no longer walked with Him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Uh, now, Steve Rohde has prayed for our time, and so I, I just want us to just press forward into this. And uh, So let's begin uh, with, with this. The, the title of the message this morning is Faithful Following. It's Faithful Following. And really three things that I want to draw out of the text for us here this morning uh, around this idea of faithful following. Uh, first of all, make note of this in verses 60 through 66, that faithful following is a demanding commitment. If you're going to be a faithful follower of Jesus, let's just understand what it is that you and I are getting into. Okay, it's a demanding commitment. It's exacting in what Jesus expects of us and what He calls us to. In fact, look at verse 60. I find this fascinating on the heels of what Jesus has just said. When many of His disciples heard it, they said, and I think what's equally fascinating is not only what they say, but what they don't say. Right? They say this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? What they're not saying is this is confusing. Or, Jesus, could you unpack that? I'm not really sure what you mean by eating your flesh and drinking your blood. See, they actually knew what he was getting at. See, they weren't bothered by what they didn't understand. They were bothered by what they did understand. That, that Jesus was calling them to a very hard and demanding and rigorous form of discipleship. That he was telling them, you got to give it all up. Now keep in mind, this is a group of people that will happily follow him around for a free meal. But this is a different level of commitment. This is a different level of discipleship that he's calling his people to. And Jesus' response even drives this home. I mean, look at the first thing he says to them. Do you take offense at this? Is this hard for you? Are you bothered by this? Do you want to push back against this? And then he says the second question, what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? He's almost saying, listen, you want me to make this easier for you? That This isn't easy. And so he proceeds down that line, and then you get to the, 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 the back end of this section and the response of the people, and you come to verse 66. I think this has got to be one of the most raw, uh, disappointing, disheartening texts in all the Scriptures. I mean, look at what it says. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. I mean, they're done the Savior of the world, right in front of them, the one who offers them eternal life, like right there. And they're like, no, we're out. I don't want anything to do with this. And so they reject what God intends for them. You ever seen someone walk away from Jesus? You ever seen someone walk away and abandon their faith? I would suggest to you, if you haven't, then you just thank the Lord that you know nothing of the pain. There's nothing, and I mean nothing more grievous than for someone to be right in front of the Savior and to say, nah, you know what, I'd rather have something different. 
I mean, he's right there. He's right in front of them. And, and yet they're saying, nope, we'll pass. Why? Why? Well, the text isn't explicit, but it's not hard to derive that either it wasn't easy or they didn't get what they wanted or it wasn't about them or they were offended in some way, shape, or form, but they bail. And what you and I need to derive from the text, what you and I need to be challenged in, is just understanding the reality that following Jesus is a demanding, it is an exacting, it is a difficult commitment. Now here's, here's what it doesn't mean. In as difficult and as hard and as exacting as this is, it doesn't mean that you and I have it all figured out. It doesn't mean that we have all the answers. Um, it, it doesn't mean that it even totally makes sense in our head. And it certainly doesn't mean that you and I never uh, are going to have issues of, of, of struggle and failure and sin that, that show up in our life uh, that, that we're suddenly perfect. That is not at all what, what, what's happening here. But here's what it does mean. It's that I embrace the commitment that Jesus puts in front of me. And that I understand just uh, how difficult, how demanding, how exacting that commitment is. Just last week, I was on the phone with my sister. Uh, my sister's heavily involved in a, a campus ministry back in the Midwest where she lives. And um, she was talking about this particular young woman that she's been meeting with for, I don't know, a year or two. And, <clears throat> and, and, and so they sit down. And this is maybe two weeks ago. They sit down and, and the young gal just looks at her and she just says, you know what? I, I, just, I just don't want to follow Jesus anymore. And my sister says, why? And the girl looked at her and she just said, it's too hard and it costs too much. Now, here's the thing. Here's what I can appreciate. She understands what it is to follow Jesus. What's heartbreaking about that is that she's walking away from the only source of hope that she'll ever find. And think about this. Think about this. Here's Jesus who has all power over all things. And look at verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. What could he have done? Right? He could have just imposed his will on them. He could have forced them. You're not going anywhere. I could have just, you know, like some Jedi thing, like, you know, they're not moving. Come back. And he just brings them back. But he doesn't do that, does he? See, I think, I think there's something to be said that Jesus lets these people walk away. And, and I would love to press into that deeper. We don't have the time this morning. But he lets them go. And, and don't miss this either. Not only does he let them go, but he doesn't change the message either, does he? Right? He's not like, oh, wait, 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 wait. Okay, okay. Uh, you scrap that whole eating my flesh, drinking the blood. That, that, was, okay, that was a little bit extreme. How about we go with this instead? He doesn't do that. He's just like, here it is. Take it or leave it. Well, I don't want it. Okay, well then, there you go. See, following Jesus brings it with it a demanding commitment to him. And the question in front of all of us here this morning is, will we embrace it? And don't be sitting there thinking about your son or your daughter or your husband or your wife or, or like, oh, wait, he needs to hear this. No, no, you, you will, you embrace this. It's a demanding commitment. Now notice this secondly, very much in line with that. Faithful following is a demanding commitment. Look at verse 67. That faithful following requires a decision from us. Faithful following, it requires that you and I actually make a decision. So verse 66, after this many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Verse 67, so Jesus said to the twelve, can't you see that? They're packing up their bags, they're packing up their stuff, they're walking away. And as some of them certainly are still within earshot, Jesus turns to the twelve. You want to go away as well? Now, wouldn't you love to know the tone with which he said that? Right? I mean, like, wouldn't you? I, I, I mean, is, 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 he, is he sad and dejected? And just like, you guys want to go away as well? Is there an intensity to him? Like, you going too? Is there an uncertainty in him of, are you guys going to abandon me? Are you going to walk away? I mean, we don't know the tone. But here's what we can know with certainty is that this is a watershed moment for the 12. Now, you, you know where that term watershed moment comes from, right? You know what a watershed is? 
Right? A watershed is it, it's a geographic term for, for, for uh, something that divides water or will push water into a different direction or into a different area. So, for example, anytime when we head back to Arizona to go see family and we get on I-40, you get about 100 miles west of town and you uh, drive over the Continental Divide. And I'm always fascinated. As many times as I've made that trip, I, I always want to get out and spit and be like, oh, Pacific or Gulf, like, where's it going to go? Um, right? But, but, um, but, but anyway, right? I mean, here's what's crazy is that ridge right there. It, it, there are parts of that where, where, where centimeters divide, whether it's going to end up in the Pacific Ocean or the Gulf of Mexico, radically different destinations. But this moment right here, this is the dividing line for the disciples. Jesus is saying, you're going away as well. Now here's what you have to understand. That same question that Jesus puts out to them hangs in the air for all of us. Okay? You, you don't get to inoculate yourself from this and go, well, you know, that's for other Christians, but that doesn't really apply to me. Yes, it does. This is for all of us. In fact, just to help us understand maybe the gravity of this, let me walk us just briefly to a couple other gospel text just to give us a sense that this is not the only time Jesus does stuff like this in his ministry. In fact, very often Jesus does things like this in his ministry. So if you you can flip over, I'm just going to briefly be in Luke 9 and then in Matthew 9 and 10. But in Luke 9, end of Luke 9, there's there's this encounter that Jesus has with, with multiple individuals. And the first guy comes up to Jesus and he says, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus just says, I'm homeless. Can you hang with that? Second guy, Jesus goes up to him and he says, follow me. And the guy says, okay, let me just bury my father. And Jesus' response, at least initially, seems so harsh and cold. And he just says, let the dead bury the dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And this third person comes up to him and says, I'll follow you wherever you go. Let me just first go and tell my family. And Jesus says to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And see, what he's really getting at is Jesus is is saying, can you follow me and not look back? Can you devote your life to me and walk away from your previous life? I mean, that's, that's a watershed moment. Or how about this? Into Matthew 9, Jesus is praying for workers to send out into the harvest. And then I love the beginning of chapter 10 as he tells the disciples, hey, I'm sending you out. You guys were my, uh, you, you were the answer to my prayer. So you're going out. And then he gives them what has to be one of the most discouraging commissions known to man. Hey, I'm going to send you out as sheep among wolves. They're going to persecute you. They're going to hate you. But hey, listen, don't be afraid of the person that can kill your body. Like, don't worry about that. Just worry about the person who can destroy your soul. Now, can you imagine a mother sending her child out? Hey, sweetie, listen, baby. Just don't worry about the person that can kill your body. Just, just be concerned about the one who can destroy your soul. I mean, that's crazy. And yet, that's what Jesus is doing with his followers here. His disciples. He is sending them out into this incredibly difficult reality. And here's what he says at the end of this. He says, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now understand, right, that the cross is an instrument of death. See, so when you look at John 6, when you look at Luke 9, when you look at Matthew 10, what, what, what do we see? It, it, it's the decision that Jesus is continually putting in front of his followers is, will you die to yourself? See, loved ones, you have a decision that you can die to yourself and live for Jesus, or you can die to Jesus and live for yourself, but you cannot put the two of those things together. You cannot live for yourself and for Jesus. It just doesn't work that way. And so Jesus is saying, are you going to surrender yourself? Are you going to follow me, or, or are you going to try to do this compartmentalization thing where, where church becomes a part, and discipleship becomes a part, and your spirituality becomes a part of your life, but it is not consuming of your life? I think this is a massive, massive issue in the church today. In fact, I would suggest to you this might be the most pressing issue in the American church. It's not our government. It's not our culture. It's not secularism. It's not biblical literacy. It's not persecution. See, those things have always been around, and those things will always be around. Like, we're not going to get rid of that. 
Here's what I think the, 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 the consuming issue in the American church is today. It's our apathy. It's our indifference. It's this ho-hum attitude to, to a committed following of Jesus. I mean, three different texts that we just briefly touched on where, where, where God is calling us to this consuming discipleship, this consuming following of Him. Now, can, can we just be honest? Let's just be honest, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll speak generically about the American church. How about that? But, but as I say this, I'll own my part in this. Because more often than not, what we see in the American church is not only will you and I, are we not willing to die to ourselves? Far too often, we're not even willing to deny ourselves or even to inconvenience ourselves for the sake of the gospel. Well, I don't want to share the gospel because they might think that I'm weird. Jesus is saying, I'm going to send you out and they're going to eat you. And we're concerned about someone not liking us. We've missed the point. Right? What we've done is we've taken the gospel and we've made it this cute little domesticated add-on to our life. You fit right here. And I do this Jesus veneer thing. But in my heart of hearts, life's really about me. And Jesus exists to do things for me. And I'll just be really honest in my own life that this is an area in the last number of months where God has just been, uh, well, pushing would be generous, hammering me might be more appropriate in terms of my own issues with this. Um, in fact, I had a moment probably three, four months ago where, where <clears throat> just being really frustrated and discouraged with some things and, and I was kind of, well, I wasn't kind of, I was having a pity party for myself. And you ever notice, <laughs> like, you have a pity party, that's always a party for one. No one else ever shows up for that, you know? Right? So I'm having this pity party of one, and I'm frustrated because God won't do what I want him to do, and life's not the way that I wanted it to be, and things are hard and not easy and all this. And here's what I love about God. Here's what I just love about God is in those moments, like he will come and engage in that. He won't squash us even though he could. Like he will happily come engage, but he will engage very honestly with us in those moments, will he? And so, and, and so he'll just begin to expose and reveal and, and point out things within us. And so I'm, I'm having just this pity party. And so God's like, all right, let's go. And he begins to walk me through the scriptures. In fact, John 6 was one of the places that he took me to. And, and in this process, what God begins to point out to me is he says, listen, Mike, here's your problem. You want all the benefits. You want all the benefits of following me, but you are not willing to lay down the sacrifices of what I'm calling you to do. We want all the bennies. I want all the upside. I want all the good stuff, but don't make it hard. Don't make me suffer. Don't make it difficult. And then it was this moment where God just said, and he just keeps asking this question of me. I'm kind of horrified as to where this is going to lead in the coming years. But, but he just says, listen, who's your life belong to? Is it mine or is it yours? Whose is it? And what God began to reveal to me is the areas where I get bent, the areas where I'm out of shape, the areas where I'm frustrated are the areas where I have clearly not died to myself but I'm holding on to them and, and, and I'm expecting God to do something that he certainly has no obligation to do. And see, this is what Jesus is doing for the disciples. You want to go away as well. You in or you out? You in or you out? Now, don't misunderstand this because he's not talking about works. He's talking about the state of our heart. Now, works will always flow out uh, of, of our heart, but, but much like a watershed, they will flow in very different directions depending upon the orientation of our heart. And so if my heart is first and foremost oriented toward God, if it's, if it's directed towards God, what will begin to flow out of me is gratitude and be able to identify all the, even the little things that God is doing. It will flow to a place of identity that's rooted in Christ, that, that honestly, I don't care what anyone thinks about me because I'm a child of God and I'm loved by God and, and that I'm held by him and that his righteousness falls upon me. That's so freeing. Right? It will flow to a place where there's just a great love of God and there's a desire to serve him. That, that's an orientation towards God and a surrendered life. Now, an orientation towards ourself flows in a very different direction. And initially, it's hard to, dis, to discern where they go, but eventually over time, right, you, you see this, this broader divide. And an orientation towards self is going to flow towards a place of entitlement. 
It's going to flow to a place of this unhealthy expectation. It's going to flow to a place of duty and obligation where we say, God, I did this, so now you're supposed to do this as if you and I could put God into our debt, which he's just never going to that place. See, faithful following requires a decision. This is a watershed moment, and it's going to lead to two radically different destinations. Loved one, just ask yourself, are you going to go away, or are you going to faithfully follow? Here's the third thing we see. Look at verse, I'm just focused on verse 68 and 69 here. That faithful following sees Jesus for who he truly is. Faithful following sees Jesus for who he truly is. Now, you can say whatever you want about Peter. That guy spent half the New Testament with his foot in his mouth. But right here, okay, right here, that guy is nails. Look at what he says. Lord, I mean, right there, he's already answered the question. He could literally say nothing else. He's already answered the question. But Lord, to whom shall we go? Like, where are we going to go? And, and, and he's not saying, well, you know, you're not a great option, but you're better than the other options. Like, imagine if you came over to my house for dinner, and I'm like, hey, we got a great meal. We got eggplant. We got Brussels sprouts. We got kale and carrots. What do you want? I'll just chew on my ice. Thank you, right? You know, like none of it. I mean, none of those are, okay, there's probably someone who loves kale, but you got to get your head checked. That stuff's awful, okay? But, 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 right, I mean, like, for most of us, it's like, what, where's the meat, right? Like, like what, or even a potato. Give us a, a, a digestible vegetable, please. Um, but, but this idea that Pete, what Peter's not saying is, I don't really have any good options, but you'll do. Peter's saying, I've only got one good option, and it's you. You're, you're my only hope, but Jesus, you're all that we need. You're more than enough, and we're not going anywhere. Why, Peter? Well, look at what he says. You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you're the Holy One of God. It's like, man, I, I know that you're God. I know that you're the Savior. I know that you're the King. And as we see Jesus for who He is, it informs how we respond to Him and, and, and understanding who we are. See, because it, it leads us to this place of worship where we can just worship him and be thankful that he's far better than us, that we can rest in Christ. I don't have to earn God's favor. I don't have to earn God's salvation. I mean, you, you could walk out of the doors five minutes from now and make the most foolish, sinful decision possible. And your salvation doesn't move an iota because it's rooted in the finished work of Christ, not on whether or not you're a good person this week so freeing for us. In fact, the exposure of our inadequacy is actually a gift to us because it lets us quit striving to earn God's favor and allows us to surrender to him and to follow him. So a faithful following of Jesus, it's, it's a demanding commitment. It requires a decision and it moves us to a place where we have to see Jesus for who he truly is. Now, at this point, let me, let me stop and I'm going to pivot a little bit and I want to take that grid and I want to just walk us through for the remainder of our time uh, in a more specific sense uh, around our church. And, and so... Um, uh, th this, we tried to put this on the screen, it just didn't fit, but, but I have a document and I realized about five seconds ago that it not fitting on the screen, you're not going to actually be able to see what's on the document as I hold it up to you right now. That was a bad idea, but, but there's a number of these in the lobby. And if you have ever been to a membership class, if you've ever been to party with the pastor, uh, some of you I've just handed this to you. This is really our long-term vision as a church. And so it says uh, building his church for his glory. That, that's the long-term vision of Faith Church. And really three primary things that we're after. Uh, building our church. We want a, uh, ministry training and church planting. And when you look specifically at the building our church, there are three core values. And this sign right here, some of you, it's probably just blended in at this point. Um, but the reason that it's in front of us is every single week, we want to be reminded of the core values of who we are and what we're after as a church, that we are people who worship, that we are people who disciple, involved in discipleship, and that we are people on mission. And so, so for the rest of our time, through the grid of our core values and what it is that we're after, and, and this concept or this challenge of faithful following, let me just walk through uh, these three things um, for us. So first of all, this. 
All right, and I think in your notes it says faithful followers engage in the local church, and, and these three items right here is what we're going to look at. So first of all, this faithful followers worship God. All right, faithful followers worship God. Here's what you must understand, loved ones, is that every single one of us is a worshiper. And at any point in your life, you are worshiping someone or something. That is never in question. The only thing that's in question is what is the object of your worship? Right? What, is, what, 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 what is my heart driving me towards or what am I driving towards my heart? And a faithful following begins with a worship of God. Now for some of you, for some of you, let me just free you from the burden of works. Because a faithful following of Jesus is not primarily about what you and I do or don't do. A faithful following of Jesus is about a worship of God and a response to the goodness of God. That is our primary responsibility, is to worship God. Now, now there are things that will flow out of that, okay? But the primary thing is worship. And, and we get into trouble and we create all kinds of confusion in our, in our lives and in our minds when we try to reverse this order. Because here's what I see people doing all the time. Is, is they have a sincere desire to honor God. They have a, a sincere desire to, 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 um, to show gratitude and appreciation to God. And so what we do is we think that if I work for God, it will create and stir up a greater love for God. Instead of being rooted in a love for God and letting my love for God and what flows out of that being a work for God. Because if you try to work for God and, and conjure up a love for God in the midst of that, uh, more often than not, you're actually going to have the opposite effect unfolding in your life. So one of the illustrations I've used, I don't know how many times, but I'll use it again because I think it's a good illustration. But, but, um, and it's appropriate because it's Valentine's Day this week. But I always use the illustration of buying flowers for my wife. Now, <laughs> I hate shopping. And, and that's actually a pretty modest statement. Like, I just abhor shopping for pretty much anything. Like, if I have to go into a store, I, I, it's in and out as quick as possible. And, and then couple that with the fact that I would like to say that I'm thrifty. My wife tells me that I'm cheap. Um, she's probably right. Okay, but I just have this, I just, just honestly, okay, I just have this really hard time of being like, I'm going to buy something that's dead next week? Like, that's a waste of money. Like, why are we doing that? Now, listen, fellas, um, don't you dare try to not buy flowers for your wife this week and be like, well, they're going to be dead next week, honey. That one's on you, okay? Uh, like, I've had to work through that one in my marriage. You're on your own. Don't you dare put that on me, okay? Um, but, but in as much as I can't stand that, I will happily buy flowers for my wife. Why? Because I love her. She's the world to me. She is hands down my favorite person. I tell my kids, yeah, I love, I love your mom more than I love you, right? True? Yeah. And they're always, they're always kind of like, what do you mean? I said, listen, one day you'll get it, okay? Um, but I love my wife. And so here, here's what's crazy. I will do things that I hate, and I won't even hate it while I'm doing it. Why? Because it's rooted in love. Now, flip that around. Let's say I didn't really love my wife, but I just loved myself. Or, or, or I liked my wife, but I didn't love my wife, not in an unconditional, sacrificial manner. And, and so I'm like, well, if I buy flowers for my wife, um, th then I'm going to love her more. Well, if, I don't really, if it's not rooted in love, what happens? Over time, I'm kind of bugged because, well, I keep having to go to the store, and that's obnoxious, and I keep spending money on things that keep dying. That's lame. Um, and my wife's not doing the things that I want her to do now. And so it creates this resentment. And this is what people do all the time in the church. I'm going to work for God and it will make me love me. And then you, whether it's three months, three years, 20 years down the road, and it's like, well, God's obnoxious and he won't do these things for me. No, no, because you're, you're wrong place of origination. It's not flowing out of worship. It's flowing out of duty or obligation or, or some other weird thing. And so here's what you got to understand. If our service, if our ministry Right? If our mission doesn't arise from a place of worship and love and affection for God, it will likely lead you to a point of frustration and disappointment and even resentment towards God. Well, we come to this place where we're going, God, I'm doing these things for you. Why aren't you doing this for me? You ever heard someone say that? Maybe you've said that. It's because your service isn't rooted in love. It's not rooted in worship. And so we start by simply worshiping God, by loving God, by appreciating God, by being thankful 
for all that God is and all that God has done, right? Faithful following begins with worship. So let me just talk a little more specifically about the church and both the individual and the corporate engagement. Individually, right, this is, this is something that should be fostered in your life on a regular basis, on a daily basis, that you should be carving out time every single day to facilitate and foster and, and encourage a love and a worship of God. Now, here's a few things that are going to be happening in the church to help facilitate this. We're planning on doing a couple different worship nights this year. So you come in on an evening, just an extended time of worship to help us to reorient ourselves back towards God, separate from Sunday morning, separate from uh, what is typical, but just some extended times where we just get to worship God. What we had just a couple nights ago, right, with elder-led prayer and different times of prayer. These are times where we come together and and, and we get to be um, around God and with God's people and they lead us to a greater love and affection and desire uh, of God. Uh, Things like night of thanks when we do that where there's this expression of gratitude to God. And then let me just get real pointed here for a minute. And bonus points for you because you're actually here when I'm saying this, right? So you get to go home and tell whoever didn't come to church or you get to tell your friend who's not here, hey, you you, got to go listen to this. You got needled in church. But this right here, being in church, being reminded that God is at work, This is for us to worship. In fact, we tell people all the time that the Sunday morning service is the single most important thing we do at this church. We say it unashamedly. We say it with conviction because we really do believe that what happens right now is more important than anything else. Why? Well, the metaphor we like to use is think of a factory. This is not the work of the ministry. But if you're in a factory and the power goes out, what happens in the factory? Nothing. Nothing happens in the factory. Nothing gets made. Nothing gets developed. The lights are out and everyone leaves. See, that's what happens in our spiritual lives. This is the power. This is the fuel. This is what, what, what allows us to move through another week in a lost and dying and broken world. It's being here on Sunday morning. So let me, let me give two exhortations for us around this. First of all, this, participate. When it comes to things of worship, certainly on Sunday morning, uh, certainly other things as well, that we participate. L- let me just go a little bit further. There is no substitute for the gathered assembly of the saints. Okay? Uh, church at home, church online, or church on your own is not church. At least not biblically. Now, you can say that. I'm just telling you, you're not going to find that in God's Word. In fact, you're going to find just the opposite. The idea around the gathered assembly of the saints. Let me just push this a little bit further. Because in America, we like to soft sell this in all kinds of different ways. The gathered assembly of the saints is the most important event of any person's week. Now, you might say, well, that's easy for you to say, Mike, because you're a pastor. I was saying it before I was a pastor. And there'll come a day and time where I won't be a pastor anymore and I'll still be saying it. I mean, we have scriptures that exhort us to do this very thing. And so I'm just exhorting you to make a commitment, right? This is part of, it's a demanding commitment. It's not an easy commitment. It's not a convenient commitment. Part of following Jesus is exacting. And so we make a commitment to be a part of the gathering of the saints. Here's the other thing I want to, just brief exhortation, is prepare. So we want to participate in these things. We want to prepare for these things. I, I, won't, make anyone, I, won't, I won't make us raise hands. L- let me just ask it in a generic sense. How many people, when you got in your car to drive to church this morning, were thinking, God's going to speak to me? Now I hope, I hope that all of you will be like, that's exactly why I got in the car. You, you have a very average pastor, but we have a very extraordinary God who uses very simple people to speak amazing truths into our life, really in spite of your pastor or anyone else who speaks for that matter. And yet what's shocking to me is how often people will roll into church and they haven't thought a bit about Sunday morning, they haven't thought a bit about engaging with God, they haven't thought a bit about the fact that the God of the universe is going to come speak to them. In fact, I I mean, sometimes I think that there's a greater expectation around a little league game than there is around coming to church. It can't be that way, right? Faithful followers worship God. 
Secondly, faithful followers engage in discipleship. Faithful followers engage in discipleship. Now, discipleship, in a generic sense, is the growth that occurs within us as we endeavor to live for Jesus. It's the different ways that God is at work in our life. Now, uh, let me just get theological nerdy for a moment here. Let me give you three terms, uh, but I think this is helpful for us to frame this up and to have a healthy sense uh, of what's going on in discipleship. So you maybe want to make note of these three terms. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Okay, let's start with justification. Justification is the moment that you get saved. It's where God declares you to be righteous and he puts his righteousness upon you. It's done solely by God and it happens like that. Okay, well, check, done. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's past tense. Glorification, which is the third term I gave you, happens at the moment of your death or when Jesus comes back. And and that's that beautiful moment where you enter into the fullness of the presence of God, where sin has no hold on you anymore. You are free uh, from from, from the brokenness and the bondage of this life. And for all of eternity, you dwell in the presence of Jesus. That's going to be awesome. That's still to come. That's future tense. And for some of us, it will be here sooner than others. All right? So we want to think just honestly about this. Everything that falls in between those two points is sanctification. And sanctification is is God working in and through your life from the moment of salvation to the moment that you die or that Jesus returns, freeing us from uh, the sin of our past and our brokenness, giving us a greater love and affection for God, giving us greater insight into his truth and into his word, and, and, and all of those things. And all of discipleship, all of discipleship falls within the confines of sanctification. So the entire process of discipleship lives in that space. Now here's what you have to understand. Sanctification is a slow process. Discipleship is a slow process. We live in a day and age where we want big and and, and instantaneous and, and, and dramatic. Like, I want to be perfect tomorrow. Well, die. Like, that's that's your that's it. It's the only way you're going to get there, okay? You've got to die. Um, and don't go out and do that, okay? Um, but sanctification is a slow process. It's kind of like watching a tree grow. So some of you are laughing. Like, no, seriously. I mean, you ever thought about watching a tree grow? So, so like when a tree is really small, it's, it's noticeable. In fact, you, you can identify pretty quickly like, oh, hey, it was six inches. Now it's 12 inches. Look, there's a leaf it has a branch, right? But then after a couple years, what happens? You're like, uh, it's harder to notice. And outside of like the obvious signs of new growth or more leaves or things like that, you can't pinpoint here's where it's grown. See, our spiritual lives are a lot like that. That, that it's going to be harder and harder over time to notice some of the more, um, some of the broader changes. Now, there'll be bursts of growth. You'll have seasons where you have bursts of growth that typically happens on the back end of really difficult seasons, but most of our spiritual life and our growth in our spiritual life comes over small, incremental process or steps. And this is where discipleship falls. This is where discipleship lands. Now, when we talk about discipleship here, we're, we're talking about uh, we, we want people to commit to the process with the long-term vision in mind. That we know that I'm not going to get in a men's group this week and three weeks from now, I'm I'm just going to be nails and have everything figured out. But that this slow incremental process that God is going to slowly change me, God's going to slowly transform me. And it's not just that I get to be challenged, it's not just that I'm going to be grown, and not just that I'm going to change, but that part of God's work in me is that I'm doing the same for others. That I'm challenging others, that I'm stimulating others, that I'm pushing others. It's not just about what I get, but what I can give. How is it that I can contribute? Now, in, in the, the primary sense, we have men's groups, women's groups, and life groups. These are the three primary means of discipleship in the church. And our expectation is that if faith church is your home, that you find yourself in one of those groups. We just have that expectation. Here's a couple other things that you may not be aware of or you might want to check out uh, with respect to discipleship uh, that, that are doing some really neat things. So we have uh, what's called Healing Hearts. And a number of different groups, this is uh, primarily for women, uh, addressing issues and hurts in their life, whether it be abuse or abortion or exploitation or things of that nature. 
where being able to engage some of those issues, being able to engage some of the difficulties of their life and get healing from that and move beyond that. Uh, we have another uh, group called Pure Desire. This is, a deal, this is a group that addresses and deals with various forms of addiction, though primarily dealing with sexual addiction. Which I would love to say, oh yeah, there, no, no one struggles with that. That'd be a bold-faced lie. In fact, the church is, is, is indistinguishable from society when it comes to these things. We just kicked off two of our workshops this morning. So we had our missions workshop and our marriage workshop uh, that both kicked off this morning. Great place to get involved. And so, so over the coming eight, nine weeks, those are workshops that, uh, <clears throat> that you can get into. And then one of the things that uh, at the older level we begin to discuss that in the fall we anticipate that the next staffing hire will be around discipleship. Someone who's going to shepherd, someone who's going to oversee, someone who's going to care, train, equip. And so that will most likely show up in the fall at the earliest. We figured before, we didn't want to try to do that before a sabbatical. If you don't know, I'm on sabbatical for a couple months this summer. So there's the first of a number of times you'll hear about that. But with respect to staffing, where we're working towards someone who's going to oversee that. And so faithful, faithful following begins with worship. It flourishes in the context of discipleship. And this is where you see the growth. And so we would just encourage you to commit to it, to invest in it, and be changed by it. Here's the final thing, is that faithful followers live on mission. Right? Faithful followers live on mission. This is the work that God enables through us to impact those around us, typically people who are not followers of Jesus. So uh, be words like outreach or mission or evangelism or sharing the gospel, service, things of that nature. Now, if we're honest as a church, at least in a corporate sense, we're not always good at this. In fact, we struggle with this. Uh, and, and certainly in this past year with some of the uh, staff transition, we've scaled back some of this. We've pressed pause in some areas. Um, but then even in, a, in an individual sense, for many of us, this is a difficult area. There's fear around this. There's a sense of inadequacy around this. Maybe you've had a really bad experience. And so we tend to shy away from this. But again, the demanding call, the decision that we have to make, being comfortable with who Jesus is and who we are, it moves us to a place where faithful followers live on mission because they know this is what God has called them to and it's what we want to be. So let me just give you a few things that are coming down the line with this. First of all, um, you can mark your calendars April 14th. April 14th, we're going to do something called Serve the City. Uh, serve the City is actually, it's a partnership of a number of churches in the metro area, and we're going to go serve alongside a number of other churches, and we're going to serve a number of different organizations and groups, and just put ourselves into the community. Uh, this is really where we uh, got the original idea for Faith Serves, uh, was through Serve the City, um, but we're going to join them in the spring, and then our goal is in the fall to, to relaunch Faith Serves, where we as a church are partnering with, with, with groups and organizations close by and locally um, that, that, that we can engage with. And so serve the city. That's one of the ways that we're going to live on mission. Another way is uh, we've begun to talk about some different mission trips uh, for us as a church. Uh, we have a desire to get back down to Rivers of Mercy again this year uh, and fully anticipate that that's going to happen. But then we're also looking at some other trips. And so it might not be until the beginning or early part of 2019 that some of that comes to fruition. But just know that we're beginning to work uh, towards that and begin to push towards that. Another thing uh, that would fall into that is in the fall we're going to go to two services. And really the reason for two, there's a number of reasons of why we're going to two services, but one of the things as we just continue to talk at the elder level is the ability to create space and be a little more intentional and deliberate and welcoming and have more opportunities uh, to invite people, invite friends, and, and just be more deliberate on a weekly basis with respect to church. And uh, there's a host of other things that are tied to that. I'd be happy to go into that uh, more if, if you want to know more about that. Um, but just know that that's coming. Here's the other one. This is probably the one that maybe would be the biggest one uh, in terms of what's coming down the line, um, but, but is church planting. So you've heard us talk some about this uh, in bits and pieces, but at the elder level, we are just getting more and more serious uh, about this. And let me just give you a brief snapshot of where we're at. Really, we don't know a whole lot about this. Suffice to say that we feel like God is pushing us and calling us and moving us towards us. And we're just asking God to lead us in this. Now, we see a ton of benefits to this. 
uh, all kinds of things that happen. One of the most fascinating things that happens when a church plants a church, first of all, any church plant, I mean, there's empirical data for this, church plants are just far more missional than existing churches. They just are. Now, part of that is <laughs> it's that or they die. So there's something about the urgency of that. But a fascinating thing happens in the sending church is that it, it, it cuts something loose in that church as well. And so, so that is uh, certainly a part of this, um, but, but it also opens doors and opportunities for different areas of service. And so where either people step into this uh, new uh, community of believers and serving in that context or, or roles that are vacated in the existing one. Now, we, we don't anticipate that we're going to actually plant a church this year. We see this being a multi-year um, process right now. We're just asking God to lead us. Um, and we don't even know for sure what that's going to look like. I mean, already we've been like, man, this may look three, four, five different ways. And what we end up doing may not be what, what we've even thought of at this point. Suffice to say that as a church, we want to live on, on mission. So we want to do this corporately. We want to do this individually in the way and the manner that faithful followers are called to. And so faithful followers are going to worship. Faithful followers are going to engage in discipleship. Faithful followers are going to live on mission. Now, I know I've gone long um, and I appreciate your patience. Let me just close with this. In as much as we look ahead, and as exciting as, as a lot of the stuff in front of us is, we would be remiss to not thank God for his kindness and his providence and his generosity and his goodness and his faithful to us in this past year. Wasn't the easiest of years. Um, in fact, there were some things that were just really hard and difficult. Um, and yet, the abundance and the overflow of God's goodness to us is unmistakable. So can we just do this on the count of three? Can we just say thank you? Can we do that? Okay, I got like three people saying yes. Okay, all right. I was like, are you with me? Wake up. All right, here you go. Ready? One, two, three. Thank you. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh man, we could thank you for the next month and it would be inadequate, insufficient for all that you've done. We thank you for your kindness, for your providence, for your care. God, we thank you that you're a good God who loves people that honestly aren't deserving of your love, uh, but you choose to give us your love. And God, we pray that in this coming year that we would be a church that's faithful. God, not... not not necessarily effective, not that we want to be ineffective, but I think sometimes we confuse those two terms. God, we want to be faithful. You, you determine whether or not something's effective. We have no bearing on that. We pray that you would make us faithful, that we would be faithful to you, that we would be faithful to one another, that we would be faithful to our community, and that we would look back at the end of 2018 and we would say, wow, look at all that God has done. Look at all that God has done and that we would be thanking you yet again for your goodness. So we thank you, Lord, and pray this in your name. Amen.